We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. If we haven't met before, my name is Colin. I'm the pastor here at Branches as uh, Carrie led us this morning. She reminded us this is the third week. And I think I shared this last week, but it's wild to wake up on Monday and be like, oh, we're doing it again. Uh, and so we're here again, and we've been in this series, we're calling the Vision Series, where we're talking together as a community about, okay, Branches has started, that's really fun, the music's great, the, we're going to come to the table, we know that, we're going to pray, but like, what are we going to be about? Like, if I were going to go into the community and somebody asked where I went to church or where I worshiped on Sunday morning, and I said branches, one, uh, doesn't have church in the name, uh, and two, you know, what, what does that mean? What scripture passage is that from? And so, you know, the first week we talked about John 15, where Jesus said, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. And then last week we talked about our first core value, belonging, uh, that we begin and end with belonging, that we fling the doors wide open, and that all people are welcome in, and all people belong uh, whether we believe it or not, it's true, it's just factual, you belong when you come here. And this week we're talking about our second core value, uh, daring, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means. But all of that points to this mission that we share as part of this Branches community uh, to be more together in Houston. And that's what these three weeks at the end, belonging, daring, and abiding are about. Okay, we want to be more together in Houston. How do we do that? Well, first we begin and end with belonging, and then today we're talking about what it means to be a daring people. So with that in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for this space we can come to in the morning, where we can see other people, where we can sing together, where we can bring our burdens and just lay them at your feet. We ask that whatever we've come with, with us this morning, whatever we've, we've brought into this place, however we're feeling, whatever attitude we have, uh, that you would just uh, be with us in it, that you would be attentive to us, that you would listen to us in our prayers and our longings, that you would speak through us this morning and speak through this word, speak through the words of the writer of Ecclesiastes, that you would teach us what it means through your son to be daring people. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the first couple of weeks of branches, uh, two weeks in a row, I pre uh, preached and I quoted the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And so this past week, Landon, my wife, was like, what, what Bonhoeffer quote are you going to use this week? <laughs> you know, and like maybe you should mix it up a little bit. Like we're getting tired of the dead German guy. Like pick somebody else. Uh, and as it happens, most of my heroes uh, were at one point political prisoners like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So I just picked a different political prisoner this week. <laughs> uh, and I was thinking a lot about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Just like a genius, uh, just immensely quotable, a hero not just for the Christian faith but for our nation who led the way, was the figurehead, was the pioneer in many ways, the person that people looked to, and also the person that people criticized during the civil rights movement for this movement that just pointed to the truth that Christians have believed for centuries that all people are created equal. And unless they are treated as such, it's not true. And he said this, you know, uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And he lived that ideal that if any justice is threatened, it's threatened for all people, and that it, and until all people are free, we can't be free. Our freedom is bound up in one another's freedom. And he wrote that in this letter called The Letter from Birmingham Jail. 
Have any of you guys read that before? Uh, you know, it's, you can find it on the internet. Google it and read it. If you've never read it before, I'd encourage you to read it. It's a scathing. Uh, it's written, actually, to white Christian pastors, so it's particularly scathing to me uh, to read this criticism that, you know, there were these pastors that were saying, you just you need to be more patient. You need to wait. And in the letter, he says, you know, when I hear you tell me to wait for justice, to wait for freedom, I hear never. I hear that we're waiting too long. But he also says this, this uh, in the letter, uh, talking about the early Christians. He says, the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a therm- thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. And you've probably heard this in a, quoted in a leadership book or maybe in your own place of work that we want to be thermostats, not thermometers. We want to be the people that set the temperature, not just reflect what it is around us. We want to be people that lead a movement. We want to be people that change the world around us. And we talk about that a lot in the world that we live in today. We want to change the world. We're not okay with the way things are. We want to be thermostats, not thermometers. And when I thought about this, this core value of daring, I thought about that quote. To be daring is to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. To not be okay with the way things are, but like how can we change it, even just by a few degrees, to be the way that, that, as Christians want to say, the kingdom, this kingdom, this picture that Jesus painted of a place where all people were in love and harmony and all people called one another brother and sister and all people shared all that they had and supported one another and the orphan and the widow and the oppressed were cared for. Can we be thermostats to change the temperature so it's closer and closer to that vision? And I've had the privilege of knowing people who I'd say, like, that guy is a thermostat. And that guy is changing the way things are. That person has lived the way that he spoke about. One of those people was Bishop Woody White. Bishop Woody White is a United Methodist bishop. And he was uh, there on the mall when uh, Martin Luther King gave the I Have a Dream speech. And he was part of the civil rights movement. And in uh, 2015, it had been 50 years since the movement of people like Martin Luther King and John Lewis and uh, other people in that movement walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. And it's recorded beautifully in the movie Selma that just came out a, a few years ago. And so on that 50th anniversary, uh, Bishop Woody White, who was part of that movement at the time, took some students with him to walk across the bridge in Selma, Alabama. There were thousands and thousands of people there. I was concerned for the structure of the bridge. There's Bishop Woody White, a hero, uh, just an uh, incredible person. I got the privilege of knowing him. Uh, off to the right, behind him, his left, there's a guy on his phone. Uh, <laughs> that's me. Uh, this picture was taken and put in the United Methodist magazine, which was distributed nationally. Uh, and there's this hero of the civil rights movement, Bishop Woody White, and his wife, and these seminary students. And I'm on my phone. <laughs> and it's like a sea of thousands and thousands of people, just this like... I mean, there's the name of the bridge above us, and I'm on my phone. And people, like, sent me the picture, like, they got the magazine, like, I'm only really friends with Methodist pastors. And they sent this to me, and they're like, is this you? I'm like, yeah, it's me. Uh, I got to walk across the bridge, and I was on my phone. Um, (laughs) Thermostat, thermometer. Uh, (laughs) uh, It was a powerful moment for me. Uh, It was life-transforming. It doesn't look like it in the picture. Uh, but, but there I was, and it, it really, really was. Uh, it, it took us hours just to go a few miles in our charter bus from uh, Atlanta to Selma, Alabama, and I was there with some people uh, that became lifelong friends and just to be able to be in that place. And it reminded me of the images of John Lewis, who was part of the Civil Rights Movement, going over the bridge that day in 1965, and it was beaten by the police. 
uh, and who went on to say, and regardless of your political persuasion, uh, Dr. Uh, or, uh, Representative Lewis is a hero, and he said, uh, we want to make good trouble. <laughs> Uh, and I reminded of that, that that's what it means to be daring, to make good trouble. That, that, that the way things are, sometimes it takes like shaking things up. Sometimes it takes breaking the rules. Sometimes it takes doing things against the grain so that the things of this world could be changed and transformed. We could live in a better world, a more peaceable society. We could get along with one another. We could be thermostats, not thermometers. We can take the picture down. It's embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> uh, and some of you, during this past week, knowing that we were talking about daring, asked me a really astute and wise question. Like, when you talk about daring, are you talking about Brene Brown? And I wrote this really wonderful book called Daring Greatly. Uh, yes, big fan, admittedly. Uh, and she's in Houston. I don't know if you're watching this, Brene. Big fan. Love your stuff. Uh, she, yeah, so, yeah, I love you. Yeah, you guys can tell you love her, too. Maybe she watches. I don't know. Uh, she wrote that book, Daring Greatly, based on this quote from uh, President Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. And it says this, I'm going to read the whole quote, and the, the, that one phrase, daring greatly, from which we take our core value, daring. It says this, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly? So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. If he fails, if this person fails, at least the person fails while daring greatly. I think of Representative Lewis. I think of Dr. King. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think of these heroes of the faith. I think of many of you. I think of my colleagues and friends. I think of people, Christians, who've gone long before us, and not just Christians, but people who saw the world as it is and, and decided, I don't want to go into the arena. I want to be that person covered in blood and sweat and tears. And even in the face of adversity, even with the strong possibility of error and failure, I want to, as Teddy Roosevelt says and recommunicated to us by Brene Brown, hi Brene, uh, that I want to dare greatly. I want to be in the arena. And because I'm in the arena, I won't take criticism for it. Like, rather than take no action, I'm going to take action, even if it means failing. I think we can all think of a person like that, a thermostat, not a thermometer, a person who decided they were going to dare greatly. Maybe that person stepped out uh, to help you. Maybe that person is an example that you think of, like, I want to be like that person. I want my marriage to be like that marriage. I want my job to be like that person's job. I want to achieve what they did because they were thermostats, not thermometers. They dared greatly. They stepped into the arena. I think a facet of this for Dr. King and Representative Lewis and Brene Brown and Teddy Roosevelt and for me, for Bishop Woody White, is not just that I want to just try and I want to be bold and go out there. That's certainly part of it. But the reasoning behind it is dissatisfaction. Uh, it's a, to be dissatisfied. It's to see the way things are and say, like, I don't think that they should be that way and I'm not happy with them that way. I'm going to do something about it. Uh, dissatisfied didn't really seem like a great church core value. Like, go to our website. Belonging, dissatisfied, and abiding, you know? Uh, we have enough of that. We have enough of just, like, plain dissatisfaction, but a dissatisfaction that motivates, I think, is worthwhile, and I think that's what they're all talking about, and I think that's what the author of Ecclesiastes has to say to us today. 
the author of Ecclesiastes, we don't know for sure who wrote this book, but if you really want a downer later, um, go read Ecclesiastes. It was like, everything is vapor. Nothing really matters. So just like, eat, drink, and be merry. I can get on board with that. And live your life, because things don't really matter. It's kind of a downer. He, he turns around kind of at the end, and in this passage, I think, is where we see his turn. He says in chapter 11, verse 1, send out your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will get it back. You'll get a return on what you throw into the water. Divide your means seven ways, or even eight. Who really cares? For you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. So spread what you have around widely. When clouds are full, they empty rain on the earth. The clouds aren't stingy, they rain. And whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there will lie. It it took action, it fell, and and it's there. It, It made that decision in some way. Whoever observes, the wind will not sow, and whoever regards the clouds will not reap. Like stand around and talk. Be a thermometer, be a weatherman, not a thermostat. We observe it happen, but do you want to step into it? And just as you do not know how the breath becomes to the, comes to the bones of the mother's womb, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So be active. Do something. Take a step. Be brave. Walk across the bridge. Write the letter. Say the word of life. Give the encouragement. Put yourself at risk if it means that. And in the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not let your hands be idle, for you do not know which will prosper. Have a side hustle, I think is what he's saying in some way. Like you have your, your main job, you have your main thing, and also do some other things. Plant some seed elsewhere. Be a multifaceted, more complex, more beautiful person because you spread what you have all around. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Dare greatly. Step out into the world. The author of Ecclesiastes, if it is indeed, as some people think, was King Solomon, one of the kings of Israel, the wisest person who ever lived. And it's funny, in a writing that we think is Solomon uh, wrote, wisest person who ever lived, uh, it's like, you know, you would say that of yourself. (laughs) Uh, The wisest person who ever lived also faced deep adversity, had a lot of failure, was a deeply broken person, and he says, uh, spread it wide. Dare. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. We say of the wisdom writers in the Bible, the the wisdom writers are the ones like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and and Job and some of the Psalms that give you advice for living, to have that vision of a good life we talked about two weeks ago. I had a professor in seminary who referred to the writers of these wisdom pieces of literature as expert livers. (laughs) They know how to live an expert life, expert livers. We always made a joke like it's either wisdom literature or like somebody who drinks a lot is an expert liver. Uh, It's kind of a dumb joke. Uh, Preparing to be a dad or something, you know, one day. Uh, and so to be an expert liver is to, is to dare greatly, to spread what you have widely around. There's um, this thing that I say when I make a quote and nobody laughs. Uh, and it's, it's, I say, um, my hometown is the Internet. <laughs> uh, because I grew up, like, when the Internet first started, uh, you know, being more accessible, more accessible for everybody to use. And so one thing that I do every morning is I check Reddit. Anybody else on Reddit? I know there's some weirdos in here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just like me, yeah. And so uh, I get on Reddit, and you can subscribe to topics and ideas and things that you like or hobbies that you have or whatever else. And uh, it's called the front page of the Internet. So it kind of curates those things that you're interested in, and you kind of see the things that you like, and if there's something you don't like, you can you know, unsubscribe from that one, and it shows you, you know, kind of curate it uh, for yourself. And there's this story that became famous all across Reddit of this guy who's driving up the 10 in California. And he says that, you know, you drive up the 10, there's accidents all the time, and he said he never stopped. And then one day, uh, he got a flat tire. He had a blowout. And then he really, like, wondered, like, why don't people stop? You know, have you ever been there? 
Uh, and he was on the side of the road waiting for somebody to stop, and cars just blowing by, not even acknowledging him, honking at him, like, to get out of the way. And he was like, I have a blowout. I'm on the side of the road. And uh, no one stopped. No one stopped. And then this truck stopped. And it was a couple, and they spoke Spanish. They didn't speak any English. And they kind of assessed his situation, and they couldn't really communicate except by pointing and gesturing and what little words of Spanish he knew he shared and what little words of English they knew they shared. And they realized they didn't have the right tools, so they drove away. And he's like, I don't understand well enough to know if they're coming back, (laughs) you know. And they drove away, and then luckily they did come back, and they had the right tools, and they changed his tire and he was just overwhelmed with just gratitude and happiness and joy that you know he could have just been stranded there and he didn't have a cell phone he didn't know what to do and these kind people who didn't speak the same language as him stopped and he's so glad that they stopped and so he reached in his pocket and he had a 20 dollar bill and he tried to handle hand it to them and they're like no 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 don't you, we won't take your money uh they didn't say that because they didn't speak english and so uh, he was trying to hand them the money and, and they wouldn't take it and so he tried to slip it into, uh, in their car, like drop it in their window. And then they went back to their car and they, they brought back this uh, tamale wrapped up. And they handed him tamale, like they wanted to help him. And he's like, no, I can't take that from you, like you've helped me. And they insisted, so he took the tamale and he got in his car and he was hungry and so he opened it up and inside was the $20 bill. <laughs> and they had to put the $20 bill in the tamale. And he was like, ah, we're not understanding each other. So he, he went back out and he tried, to, he tried to give it back and they were not understanding each other. And the, the man reached out of the truck and grabbed this person's arm. And in the English that he did know, he said this. He said, today you, tomorrow me. And I think about that all the time. Today you, tomorrow me. I think about the people that led the civil rights movement and that lived by that spirit. You know, like this could be you. Like you would be more urgent if this were you. Today you, tomorrow me. Uh, Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, today you, tomorrow me. Whatever ailment we see uh, before us, we look at around our city and we have this dissatisfaction as we've talked about. Today you, tomorrow me. And it can spur us to action if we just remind ourselves that our circumstances can change. We could have a blowout and be on the side of the road. We could be derided and hated and cast aside in society. Today you, tomorrow me. I've shared a, a lot of examples of that today, of, of uh, being a thermostat and not a thermometer and uh, doing bad trouble, getting in bad trouble, you know, uh, or good trouble, rather, sorry. And to be a thermostat and, and not a thermometer and to be like these figures of the faith who stepped out and they dare greatly like Teddy Roosevelt and they teach us how to be these people that take steps that in the face of adversity and the, the maybe possibility of error and failure, uh, today you, tomorrow me. I share a lot of examples, and and maybe in a way that seems kind of messy, because I think for us, it could just be particular and unique. We're not all in the same situation. We're not all in the same place. We don't all have the same story, but we all have the same call. If we follow Jesus, today you, tomorrow me. We have the same call to dare greatly. We have the same call to, to take a step, to take action, to be dissatisfied and not be cynical in our dissatisfaction, but to take action in our dissatisfaction. To see problems in our society and say, Instead of, you know, um, that's bad, but there's nothing I can do about it. But say, what could we do about it? To dream together. uh, To wonder what it would be like if that thing didn't exist. And then work our way backwards to take that step. Of course, for me, it always goes back to Jesus. Who (laughs) didn't uh, think about how he was perceived necessarily. Uh, I have a lot of pastor friends, a lot of... Christian friends, and I think about this thing, and and it indicts me too, reading reading the letter from Birmingham jail does this to me. 
that we're so worried about looking radical that we're too worried to love. That we're too worried about being perceived of that person as crazy, what are they doing, that we're too worried to look and live like Jesus. We're so worried about how our neighbors will think about us or like, you know, they're they're never going to accomplish anything that we're too worried to take that step to dare greatly. And then I think about Jesus, who touched people who uh, it was against the law to touch, who ate meals with people who were vastly hated by all people in their community, who had a meal with people who would betray him, who washed the feet of people who would turn out to turn him over. Jesus wasn't worried about looking too radical enough for him to not love. That's what I want for us. All of those things, whatever it means for us, what it means to be daring is to be a people who say we're dissatisfied and we're not going to sit in our dissatisfaction. We're going to bind together and do something about it. Yesterday we had Family Farm Day at Shambhi Amani. It was a really wonderful time. And it seems like this, you know, paltry small thing just like to go to a farm and plant some plants and get to know some people but it's it's those seeds that, that the author of ecclesiastes is talking about that you spread widely what you have and you never know what god is going to do in it and there's so many stories i've heard so many stories from the people that work at that farm and people that are part of fondren apartment ministries and pastors and groups that have been part of that have seen transformation and radical love spring up all around them just because of those small interactions because they dared to do it that's what I want for us. And we look at Jesus, and, and I want to end with just a disclaimer. This is not a license and an encouragement to be weird. <laughs> this isn't to say, like, okay, Colin told us to be daring, so I'm going to go get some tracks, and I'm going to go stand on the street corner, and I'm going to talk to people in a weird way, and I'm going to be off-putting. Let's put it that way. I'm going to be an off-putting Christian person. There are enough of those, <laughs> and I'm dissatisfied with it. <laughs> But what would it look like to be daring people that put connection and relationship first? That didn't put a a guardrail up for what it meant to love and to care for another person. They didn't say wait to a person that was longing for justice and transformation. That didn't, you know, set up this personal boundaries of like, oh, who am I? What could I do? but to with the author of Ecclesiastes and with Dr. King and with Representative Lewis and with Brene Brown and with Teddy Roosevelt and with us together with branches in Houston. What if we said we're dissatisfied and we're going to do something about it? I believe that God, just like the author of Ecclesiastes says, uh, is at work before us before we even know it or want it or desire it. All he's asking for us is to dare to believe that we could do something about it. So let's dare together. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Almighty God, you've set before us uh, choices and options and expressions of ways that we could interact with the world. Just open our eyes to see those small things that we can do, those dares that we can take, those steps that we can take, those opportunities that we could have to see the world around us change. Be with us in our dissatisfaction and and just energize us to act in the world. Help us be, as you've called us to be, thermostats, not thermometers. To make good trouble around us. To make people pay attention. To not be off-putting, but to be the people that you've called us to be. That when others see us, they may catch a glimpse of you and your kingdom. Where all are welcome and all are loved. And all is made right. The lowly are lifted up. The orphan and the widow are cared for. And there's enough to go around. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.